we begin our time of worship this morning, let's go to God in prayer. Almighty God, we confess that you are the one who holds all things in hand. That if it were not for you, not only would we not exist, would we not be here, but we couldn't be here on this Sunday morning as the sun shines down upon us in this warm building, gathered with friends and family, gathered with folks on Facebook, worshiping as one body together. And so we just want to acknowledge you and say that we thank you, that we align ourselves with you. Lord, we also realize that we have done some things that don't match up with what I have just said. That this week we have done things as though you are not the Almighty God, the one who showers us with mercy and grace and love, the one who does not do everything for us. We have turned away from you. We have done wrong things. We have left things undone. We've done them both intentionally and unintentionally. We have harmed our neighbor. We have harmed ourselves. And so we just want to confess that to you and ask you to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Cleanse us from anything that would keep us from experiencing you completely this morning. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, who reveals who you are to us. That tells us that somehow, through the life, death, and resurrection that he freely gave, forgiveness is ours. So that all we have to do is just confess. And you say it's done. We thank you for that. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you for the ways in which he came and taught us in parable, in action, through the healings, through the feedings, all the ways that he was trying to get us to see that if we want to be a part of your unseen realm, we can be. That it's here, right now, right here. In fact, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. And that's a mystery to us, but we long to see that. We long to live into it. Lord, as citizens of that kingdom, we want to bring to you some things that are heavy on our hearts this morning because we come to worship uh, with things that are distracting us from seeing you today. Not that caring about these things is unimportant, but you ask us to lay our burdens before you, and so we want to do that right now. We're going to call out the names of people and situations that are heavy on our hearts, and we're going to give those over to you and trust, at least for this hour of worship, that you really do hold all things in hand, that you are working toward our good at all times, even when we're asleep. And so we ask, Lord, that you hear our prayer as we call these out now. Lynn Gibson. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Brian Turner. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. My sister Becky and my niece Elizabeth. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. 
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. This church. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Rhonda and Joe Verado. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Brother Stacy. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. My mother. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Sister Brandy. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. The band. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Jimmy Lucas. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. All of our families and children. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Cassandra Cooper. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, I lift to you Emily as she nears her due date. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And for Tim, as he travels down from Amarillo for a couple days' visit, keep him safe. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. God, I know that there are probably more prayer requests in this room, and I'm thankful that you know the whisperings of our hearts. I thank you. The scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf when we don't even know what to say. And so we thank you for that. Not only are you working toward our good in each and every situation, but you're interceding for us even as we sit here. Lord, you truly are a gracious God, one who loves us and displays that love to us always. We pray that as we continue this worship, that you would be felt among us, present in this place, that you would be glorified and honored in all that we say and do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's forward for our children's time. They were both helping me behind the computer this morning, so we all just got to walk up together today, huh? Awesome. I know. I love how much you guys help. Okay, so I have something for you today. Check that out. Crosses, but what's in the middle there? Do y'all know what that little tiny, teeny thing is? It is. Go ahead, the mustard seed. A mustard seed. What did y'all learn about with mustard seeds during Sunday school today? <laughs> I know, a lot. There's a lot you can learn about a mustard seed. What happens if I plant a mustard seed? What's it turn into? It'll grow into a big tree. A giant tree, right? A bush. A big bush. A big bush that's the biggest tree. Um, so it, even though it starts out little bitty and tiny. Well, that's one of the parables that Jesus used to teach us lessons about the kingdom of God. Um, Jesus used a lot of parables, a lot of stories. All a parable is is an earthly story that has a heavenly message that teaches us about the kingdom of God. And we're going to learn about a couple of them this morning. Um, the other one that we're going to learn about is about the wheat and the weeds. Have y'all learned about that one yet? Y'all are going to get to learn about wheat and weeds, or sometimes called the wheat and the tares for our, our grown-ups out here. Y'all may have heard about it before. But it's about two plants that look very much alike. Kind of like, have you ever played the game Bean Boozled? No. 
No, okay, so in the game Bean Boozled, you get to spin a wheel and pick a jelly bean color. But the thing about these jelly beans, they're kind of like Birdie Bot's Every Flavor Beans in Harry Potter. If you get a green one, it might be peppermint flavored, but it might be grass flavored. Have you ever had a grass flavored jelly bean? Right? Or you might get a blue one that's coconut, or it could be toothpaste flavored. Have you ever tried those before? I'm going to have to get y'all some of those for next week. I know. Does it sound like a fun game to play? It's very interesting. You never know what you're going to get. Um, but that's the wheat and the weeds that we're going to learn about today when we go to Children's Church. Are y'all ready to go to Children's Church? Okay, before we go, let's pray. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? Dear God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us stories to understand the kingdom of heaven. Give us understanding today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's head to Children's Church. Fantastic. Well, let's hear some of these stories. Today we are in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13, continuing the narrative lectionary. We are now firmly in the life of Jesus, and he is... Uh, teaching us some things. So let's hear what he has to say. We'll begin in verse 24. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed, i got to turn the page, good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches." He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables. Without a parable, he told them nothing. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth to speak in parables. I will proclaim what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will collect out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers, 
and they will throw them they will throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father let anyone with ears listen a word from God for the people of God thanks be to God God, may your word be proclaimed through me or perhaps in spite of me. Amen. The kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a field where wheat and weeds grow together at the same time. It's like a tiny seed that grows into a great shrub where all the birds can nest. It's like a little yeast in flour. It's like a treasure hidden in a field, and that field is for sale, and you should do whatever you have to do to acquire the field. It's like a pearl worth more than you can fathom. It's like a net being thrown into the sea to catch all kinds of fish. Jesus is doing his darndest to paint a picture for us of an unseen realm. The kingdom of heaven, the dominion of of heaven, the republic of God, the divine commonwealth, whatever you want to call it, he wants us to know and to believe that there is an invisible empire that exists and it exists alongside all visible and competing empires. But this empire that Jesus is trying to tell us about is unlike all the rest because it is God's dominion. It is God's commonwealth, God's reign, right here, right now, an extension of heaven permeating our world, fully accessible to anyone, right here and right now. And here's the best part. God is handing out green cards to anybody who wants to become a citizen just like that. Each parable that Jesus tells about this kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God reveals new information to us about the nature of this invisible empire. We learn through these parables that it starts small but grows big. The mustard seed starts out tiny but becomes something so much greater. Uh, We learn through the yeast that it doesn't take much to influence the whole world. It works its way into the world. We find out that it's worth doing whatever you have to do to attain it. We learn that it contains both good and bad things that will be sorted out later. Now, it's this last one, the parable of the wheat and the weeds, that really caught my imagination This week, beginning really with Monday, our discussion on Monday kind of led me into this place of imagination, really thinking about this parable. Now, at first glance, the easy way to read this, it seems to describe a world full of good people and bad people. And when judgment time comes, the good will be separated from the bad and the bad will be, quote, thrown into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't have to tell you that's not a sermon I would like to preach this morning. It's not one that's very comfortable to me. Now, my grandfather, he was one of those pulpit-pounding preachers. He would tell you about hellfire and brimstone. You don't hear that so much 
from the pulpit these days. But I was thinking about this common way of understanding this, this idea that the world is full of black and white, good and bad, and will separate one from the other, and one will be kept and one will be burned in the fire. And I thought, is there another way to understand this? Is there another way to look at it? Because that's what we're to do with parables, I think. And I thought about another field in the Bible where God planted something good. It was way back at the beginning of the Bible. And we don't call it a field, we call it a garden. The Garden of Eden, right? And in the Garden of Eden, we see God bend down into the dirt and scoop up some dirt and form it into this human being and breathing into the nostrils of this human being and it becomes a living person. And God steps back and says, wow, that's really good. That's very, very good. And so what God has sown into the dirt and what has grown up out of it, God says, is good. And then what happens? Well, this serpent comes along. And this serpent begins to sow seeds of doubt and malicious intent into the hearts of these first humans. And they take the fruit that they were not to eat of, and they took it and ate. And all of a sudden, something was new in these humans that were once good. They contained both the capacity for good and for evil. Now, a lot of theologians will tell you that at the moment that Adam and Eve ate that fruit, that they became totally evil. In fact, Calvin would call that total depravity, the depravity of humans, that every human that comes along since Adam and Eve are 100% evil through and through, no trace of good left in them, which is why some denominations rush to baptize babies because we've got to wash off the evil lest they die before they can get that water on them. Ah, but I'm a Methodist. I'm a Methodist. You know what John Wesley said? John Wesley said, apart from the grace of God, this might be true, but God's prevenient grace. See, Chuck just told us about this. The grace that goes before. We even know it exists before we have a clue what's going on. God's prevenient grace is working in us and through us, maintaining that divine spark. We're made in the image of God. God calls us good. And by God's grace, we are not thrown into complete darkness. And I love this concept. I love this idea because I recognize this within my own self that I have the capacity to do some really beautiful and wonderful things, and then I can turn around and do some terrible, awful, dark things. And I recognize this with everybody around me. I can't go out and point and say, oh, this one's good, this one's bad. Everybody has the capacity to do beautiful things and terrible things. And so I began to look at this parable then, through the lens of the Garden of Eden and prevenient grace. 
And I thought, wait a minute. What if this story doesn't highlight individuals in the world, some good, some bad? What if instead this as, as an image of the human heart as the garden, the field in which things are being planted, it's the human soul. It's you and me, all of us containing something that God has put in us and something that the devil has sowed in us, all wrapped up in one fleshy package. If that were the case, would that change how you hear this parable? Would it change how you understand it? Because all of a sudden, this is no longer about who's in and out and us trying to figure out who is in and out and maybe pointing out to others and to God, I know who's in and I know who's out. Now this becomes a story of grace about what is happening in each of us, in you and in me. I had to laugh because in the parable itself, the the farmhands, those who are called to work the fields, come to the farmer and they say, hey, we see some, some bad stuff growing in your garden. You want us to go ahead and pull that up for you? And the farmer laughs and says, no, no. If you do that, you could do some damage. By the way, the word weeds here is darnell. It's a, a, sometimes called false wheat. It looks exactly like wheat until the grain appears. You can't really tell what's what until the grain appears. And so the farmer says, no, no, guys, don't go out there and start pulling stuff. You might mistake wheat for Darnell. Or in, in, in the process of pulling up the Darnell, you may uproot the wheat too. And the wheat is really, really important to me. So leave it alone. Don't do anything because I've got pros that come along at the end, the reapers. They know how to carefully separate the wheat from the darnell. You all just do your job and care for the field. And I wonder if this is an extension of what we talked about last week. Remember we talked about Jesus saying, Do not judge lest you be judged, and the, ju and the, the measure with which you judge will be the measure that's used against you when you are judged. Is this an extension of that? Jesus saying, Look, you all are too ready to recognize the Darnell in other people, and you're, you're all too ready to stamp it out or pull it up or whatever you think you need to do. Just care for my fields. Leave the judging stuff to me at the end, right? Just care for people. Is this to show that God could, and, and maybe this would be our choice, but God's different than us, that God could just destroy the field? If you've got a field that's got both good and bad, and, and the easier thing would just, just burn the whole field and start over. But God says, no, 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 no. Is this God with the ability to destroy us completely but doesn't, instead allows the fruit of our lives to present themselves for what they are in the end? Is this the way of saying that God will separate what is good in us from what is bad in us, burning away all the poison of our lives and saving what is precious to Him. Is that what this parable is about? Is there any one right way to interpret a parable? Probably not. Jesus' disciples 
asked him, they said, look, Jesus, why do you keep talking this way? Why do you keep telling these stories? Just speak plainly to the people. And Jesus said, no, I do this because the parable is designed to weed out, pun intended, those who have ears to hear and those who do not. And so Jesus, whether he's speaking about the kingdom of heaven or he's talking about the gospel message or whether he's talking about what it means to love one another or whether he's telling us what God is like, he chooses to speak in these parables, these earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And we, as the hearers, can either shrug it off as a story that's just too silly to try to comb through or too complicated to understand and we can walk away or we can be like those who press in and ask good questions about it. We can be like those who, who, who take the parable in hand and we look at it this way and then we turn it this way and we look at it from this angle and then we turn it this way and look at here and we're constantly rotating, asking good questions about the parables themselves, gleaning all we can from the stories, trying to get a grasp on what Jesus is trying to say us, say to us. Are we those kind of people? The people who have ears to hear. I don't know if I have ears to hear. I, I, I don't know. But what I like to do is when I come across the parables of Jesus, my starting point at least is to look for the grace. Where is the grace in the story itself? So let me tell you what I see in this parable of wheat and weeds. I see grace in that the workers are eager to weed the garden, but the farmer is patient. While I might be tempted to do a little bit of weeding, God says, wait, hold on. I see that the farmer finds the wheat so precious that he is willing to let the bad exist alongside the good just to preserve the wheat. Which maybe helps answer the question, why is there bad stuff in the world? Well, maybe it's God's grace. Maybe it's God being patient with us. Because if I were not ready and God were to uh, uh, somehow do some surgery on me, remove the bad, it might actually hurt the good too. And so God is patient. Let's just see how this works. We'll separate it in the end. We'll work it out. I see grace in that the farmer does not allow his workers to do the weeding. They're not pros at weeding. They are meant to care for the field. And so the farmer says, wait till the end. I've got reapers coming. They're pros. They know what they're doing. Which tells me Christians might judge, but it's really God's opinion that matters in the end of it. Right? I see grace there. And if this parable, the way that I'm reading it this week, if this parable is speaking about our souls as the garden in which good and bad exists, good by the grace of God, bad by our own choices and decisions and the things we pick up from others around us, but if this parable is speaking about that, I see grace and that God is faithful to separate in me, cannot continue into eternity. And I fully expect that when that happens, I will weep and gnash my teeth at its removal. Right, That day that I'm shown 
the things that cannot continue into eternity, the things that I grasp to, that I hold on to dearly, and God says it's time to let that go, I fully expect I will weep and gnash my teeth on that day. But I think that's grace. I think that's God's grace toward us. So my question for you today is, when you read this parable, when you hear the parables of Jesus, what do you see? May we be those who have ears to hear, that twist and turn the parable, explore it for all that it is, rather than walk away as we attempt to be the best followers of Jesus that we can. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.